Military Veterans in Journalism proudly presents Sword and Pen. Welcome to a special convention edition of the Sword and Pen, brought to you from the New York City Athletic Club in the Big Apple. It's October 6th, 2023, and I am broadcasting during the DAV Career Fair, where our members are connecting with recruiters from top news outlets and journalism schools, including Spectrum News, CBS, the Reynolds Journalism Institute, and many more. The Career Fair is sponsored by the Disabled American Veterans. I hope to tap into the warrior minds of our MVJ members and exhibitors who are here this weekend to network, learn, get employed, hire veterans, and their spouses, and have a lot of fun. Up first at the mic is Dan Clare. He is the Chief Communications and Outreach Officer for DAV, Disabled American Veterans, a gold level sponsor for the convention and the career fair sponsor. Welcome to the convention. Thank you so much for having me and thanks for doing this. You are from Lincoln, Nebraska. You were in the Marine Corps, the Air Guard, and your military occupation, your MOS, was public affairs. Public affairs almost all the way through. The Marine Corps calls them combat correspondents, which sounds much, uh, much more muscular. Did you retire? I, I, I was medically retired from the Air Force. Uh, how long ago was that? Um, that's been uh, 10 years, I think. Uh, you are a defense information school trained killer. I am. I'm a Dinfo's trained killer. So am I. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> I, I, you know, Dinfo's, we were just talking to the University of Missouri um, School of Journalism and um, just talking about how, how great that education is and, and the potential that we see from the people who come out of that career field. They're, they're really special people. They support the military in a really unique way. Um, so it's, it's, it's really neat. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't have traded my training um, or, or most of my military experiences for anything. Well, I want, I want to thank you for sponsoring the career fair because I know a lot of vets uh, came here, particularly um, if they don't have a job, and they're seeking a job for this. So thank you. Uh, can you tell me, in a nutshell, how you got from the military to DAV? Well, my path was... Uh, kind of unique. I, I did my four years in the Marine Corps, uh, got out, went into advertising in, in California. Something was missing in my life at the time. I, it wasn't as fulfilling um, just being in advertising. And so uh, in 2001, I, I enlisted in the Air National Guard after four years in the Marine Corps, uh, doing the same thing I'd done in the Marine Corps for in a different uniform. And uh, it was really fun for, for two or three weeks. And then um, these guys flew some planes into the World Trade Centers. And so we flew the FEMA teams to New York. And for me, that was, uh, it was just one of the most important things I'd ever done you know, in my life. I didn't do anything, really, but to have been a part of that, to support that in any way, makes it special to be back here in New York, too, in a, in a way. After that, I was pretty ate up with staying active in the Guard. I was doing a lot of time in the Guard while I was still in advertising in Orange County, California. Um, and a friend called me up and said, you know, would you be interested in joining, uh, joining me here at DAV? He was a guy I went through DINFOS with. So uh, I ended up moving out from Orange County, California to, to Cincinnati, the Cincinnati area, northern Kentucky. Um, reconnected with someone I'd served with, and she became my wife. 
we have a good life. We're on a farm and everything, but um, I'm able to take those skills from DINFOs and the stuff that I picked up along the way and, and use it to help veterans. And that's what I, that's what DAV has in common with military veterans and journalism. We definitely see the value in having our voices uh, in the media. At, you know, at any given time, they say, what well, it's less than 1% of the population that's defending our country, actively defending. 5% or so are, um, are, are veterans themselves or connected to service that way. Um, and, and that's a very small group. And what we've seen is we're 50 years out now from an all-volunteer force. Um, and and there's, there's some baggage that goes with that all-volunteer thing. We're not, um, we're not the voting block we were when there was a draft. We're, our country isn't as connected with the military experience um, because there's not been a draft. It's, the sacrifices of our national defense are shared by so few people that the connection can be lost. And when you have, I mean, you think about it, the VA's budget's gone up uh, $300 billion a year now. If veterans represent a smaller block and they've been sent, uh, a smaller number of them have been sent on multiple deployments and two wars over the course of almost 20 years, the needs are greater. So uh, having veterans in, in newsrooms are our best chance, I think, of keeping our budget, keeping things intact, and being able to take care of veterans. What kind of stories do you like to tell? I like to make people relatable. I, I like for a story, I, I, I mean, we're strategic communicators, which is a little bit different than journalism, where it's a, it's a very truth-bound thing. We definitely tell the truth, but we do it in a way that hopefully brings tells a, a bigger story. Um, so people who have sacrificed, I, I love to tell their stories, uh, and I love to make make them human and make people feel like, okay, I know these people who serve our country. I, I, I can understand their motivations. I can understand who they are. And I can understand that they were changed forever doing something for me that they didn't have to do. They didn't, you know, it's all volunteer force. They didn't have to go to the military. And even going back to the draft, though, anyone who answers the call to serve we have that basic obligation, DAV says, keeping our promise to America's veterans. That's what it's all about. And so having journalists, uh, their conscience for the veterans community. So if we have veteran journalists, they're going to they're, they're gonna serve the veterans community in a really special way. Can you tell me a little bit about the burn pits and sure. the whistleblower? Yeah, I was, um, I was you know, working for DAV, and, and like I said, after 9-11, I stayed active in the Guard way more than I was before. I really thought of the Guard as being like a, a way to get out of the house for the weekend for a long time. Um, but, well, not for a long time, for two weeks before 9-11. It was really a fun place to go hang out with people who were like-minded. Um, but then uh, I always wanted to go serve in the war. Like, I always felt like if, you're, if you were in the military and you had the ability and there was a war and, and you were called, or in my case, I volunteered. For a long time, I wanted to go serve in the military. And uh, it happened that uh, I finally got my opportunity. I transferred to the Ohio National Air National Guard, uh, got called up. I go to Iraq. You can't leave the base. They called Balad Mortaritaville. That was the nickname. Uh, God rest in peace, uh, Jimmy Buffett. But you're stationed there, and you're taking mortars and rockets every day. But the thing that was most surprising is 
I always thought the most dangerous thing of going to Iraq for me in the Air Guard was going to be probably if if I were the enemy, I would want to shoot down those big aircraft that were carrying the people into my country to fight me. And the U.S. military does a great job protecting aircraft, obviously. No, those aircraft don't get shot down. But um, what, what was amazing was you land, you know, they pop flares for if, in case there's a heat-seeking missile or something. To, and you land, and, and you're like, well, that was kind of uneventful. You know, you're, it, it looks like a giant airport in the middle of the desert, Balad did. And then um, they open the, the doors to the plane, and the stench comes in. And it was the burn pits. Tons and tons of trash. Uh, it was metals, uh, tires, toxins, just stuff pluming into the air. I used to have a seven-day weather forecast that uh, on all seven days for the morning forecast, you know, like you see in the United States, the symbol was this, this gray blob in front of the sun, and it said smoke and haze. So seven... Like, for an entire week, they knew that the airfield wasn't going to be able to operate the same way in the morning because the smoke was there. And so you're, you're sucking this, these fumes, and, and everyone knew I worked for DAV. I volunteered at the hospital, you know. That's where I, I enjoyed my time most was being at the hospital while I could do it. And then, um, then I'm, I'm, you know, my boss is like, hey, look, uh, we're talking internally, and, and uh, he gets a smaller group of, of the team, the public affairs team, and he says, it was a crisis communications team. And, and the thought is, well, these burn pits could become news at some point, and we need to be ready when they become news. And here's this memo, and this is what we know about the burn pits. And the memo was drafted by uh, Darren Curtis, a bioenvironmental engineer. And he was basically saying, in all my life, in all my studies, I've never seen a disaster as bad as these burn pits. And these were the ones at Balad. Balad was a huge base, um, but there were burn pits all over. They were all over Iraq. They were all over Africa. They were all over, uh, all over Afghanistan. So he's saying these things are awful. This is an environmental catastrophe for the people who live here and operate this base. Um, and and it, was a, it was a man-made thing, really. But the military goes into an expeditionary environment. There's not this thought that, well, we're running a city now, so we're going to have a town hall meeting and talk about how we're going to take care of trash. You know, it's like we're not going to put people in harm's way to wash dishes, so we're going to eat off styrofoam. And when the styrofoam is, when we're done using it, we have to get rid of it. And so it's a security thing. we got to burn it. We, we can't turn our uniforms over to the enemy. we got to burn our uniforms all these toxins were just blowing smoke constantly you know you're going through a haze constantly and so well, anyway i get this memo from darren curtis and i'm like oh my god this is the whole story i was a journalist that's the story um so there was a, a journalist really familiar to military veterans and journalism named kelly kennedy i'd worked with kelly before do you know kelly Yes, you, uh, from the War Horse. From War Horse, yeah. Thomas Brennan and, and that team, they're doing really neat, really neat work. Um, and, and people should tune into that because it is kind of MVJ, and, and they have a lot in common in that you see these veterans' voices from War Horse that are just incredible. All the time they have this great content. But um, Kelly, I knew her. 
Uh, she was a veteran. She'd put her her life at risk to tell stories. Um, she had a book. She had a great book out at the time. Um, and so our, it was natural for us. I, I mean, as soon as I got the memo, I sent it back to DAV. Like, my major even caught me doing it, and I don't know if he was sure I was doing it. And I just told him, I said, you know, this is, this is going to come out. This is going to be news. Um, <laughs> you know, without saying that's what I was doing. And he said, as long as it doesn't come out while we're here, I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, like, and I'm not saying that because he, uh, I'm not criticizing him for that. And I'm not criticizing the Air Force uh, entirely for what was going on because I don't think commanders want to poison their people. But their people were getting poisoned, and not enough was being done to, to stop it. They could have brought uh, incinerators online and, and made it a safer place, and there's some bureaucracy stuff, and just the fact that, oh, yeah, they also have to fight this huge war. So th that news broke uh, November 3rd, 2000, what was it? Well, 15 years ago next month. It was a life-changing thing, and uh, I, I never knew how to react to being a whistleblower or whatever. To me, it was like I, I was I was so mad, I was so uh, pissed off that we were. They knew, you all know that we're getting sick, and and you don't know how long that's going to last. You know, you don't know. No one knew going back from Balad or any of those locations what they were bringing home with them, and some people won't find out for another 10, 20 years, and their lives are going to be cut short because of this stuff. And, uh, we'll see what the impact is over time, but that that was my that was my uh, burn pit story. Wow! <laughs> and then uh, John Stewart pretty much made it. Um, it, it John, I'm not going to say famous because he's famous, but I I don't. Uh, John Stewart did a ton of work, and and a lot of groups were involved. A ton of people were involved. What I'm proud of is the, the interaction with Kelly Kennedy. You go from, Kelly was just, she's such a, she cared so deeply. She's proven over and over again that she was the right person to break that story. Um, but Kelly's coming back to DAV and she's saying, okay, now I wrote this story, my byline's out there, and I'm getting all these people who uh, are telling me that they're sick, their loved one's sick, their loved one died. I mean, this was, the burn pits were still... <laughs> were still smoking and there were people dying identifying themselves that, uh, to Kelly so we started a, a registry and we started getting their information because DAV does benefits that's our biggest thing probably is justice and making sure veterans get their benefits and we knew when I came home the Vietnam veterans looked at at burn pits and they said this is this is awful these this is this is agent orange you know, they saw Agent Orange right away. They hear dioxins, and they say, this this can't stand. They're not going to get a second round at us, you know. So the Vietnam vets really huddled around this issue. DAV developed a, a burn pit registry, and then it becomes the VA burn pit registry. And there's a lot going on legislatively before John got involved. Of course, he was involved with the 9-11 folks. What's beautiful about John Stewart, and, and we've had a, I've had a chance to interact with him a little bit, is that he's taking his celebrity, he's making no money doing it, but he, he uses his celebrity uh, for good. 
you know and that's that's really what he did he he was a, a the conscience of the nation you know he's saying he's just pointing out like you know and and you know i talked to uh mike rowe from uh he was famous for dirty jobs and his podcast is awesome i talked to mike rowe and mike rowe said um you know i don't think that i would agree with john stewart on a lot of things but uh you know he's right on on this burn pit thing which is interesting so yeah. you have a booth set up in the career fair what do you hope to get out of your booth this weekend well the booth's great um i'm as excited or more excited when i see cnn here when i see nbc universal telemundo fox news uh, talk about people who maybe don't get along all the time but they're all united in purpose they want to hire veterans um so to me it's it's the value of getting people we do over 100 job fairs a year basically dav does with a with a partner um, but this job fair is a little special for us because these are people who are going to contribute back to uh, the veterans community well thank you dan claire for joining me on the sword and pen i really appreciate it and Sincere thanks from all of us for sponsoring the career fair. We all appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Uh, thanks to Zach. Um, thanks to uh, Russell. Thanks to everyone on the team. Uh, the, the, the volunteers who are involved. Devin, um, fantastic. And thank you for your time, too. You're, you're, a, you're a treasure to your fellow veterans. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you. Up next at the mic is Patrick Martin. He is from Charlotte, North Carolina. He's a TV producer for NBC, um, and he is also an Army veteran, uh, airborne infantry. You served 8.7 years, to be exact. Um, you majored in journalism, and where did you graduate from? I graduated from uh, Columbia. So you have been an instrumental part of MBJ this weekend. Uh, you gave us a tour of NBC Studios yesterday, and you were on a panel today. You came back from Charlotte for the convention. Thank you for being here today. So what has been your experience so far? Well, I mean, it's great, actually, to see uh, just how many people have, have come to the conference and the enthusiasm that we have towards journalism and towards you know, telling people stories. And I think that this is a great space to do that because I, you know, for, for veterans in general, um, a lot of the skill sets are, are the same, you know, right? So planning, producing, all those things are really put into what military veterans do as well. And then also having the tenacity to, you know, go and, and chase down stories and do things where you might be put in an uncomfortable position uh, is something that comes more natural to, I believe, veterans than what we see right now, which is not enough veterans in the newsroom. When we were going through the NBC studios yesterday, everybody was pretty impressed about the control rooms and the newsrooms. What did it feel like to go through those halls when you used to work there? Well, I mean, I still work there. I still definitely uh, go into the building. I do a lot more remote now. Um, and, you know, I always, it's, it, they're, they're, they're storied halls. Uh, you know, that is where we celebrated, you know, nightly news 75th or nightly news 50th. And, I mean, it's where, like, I've met Lester Holt, met 
Tom Brokaw. You know, you you meet these people, and you're at the pantheon of news of of what can be accomplished. So, I mean, anytime I walk through, you know, you just kind of almost have to pinch yourself, especially when you see those peacocks under you as you're going up and understanding just how large your audience is and the influence that you have. And I believe even as I've come to, you know, grow in my role in the company, that even more so you notice the, like, just how enormous the, the, the company is. I mean, from... The stories that I used to pitch, where I'd be like, "Oh, this is interesting. Uh, you know, let's let's look into this," to now being like, "Okay, this is an interesting story, but is it at the national scale where we want to show it across platform to everybody?" Right. So those are the things that I look into now. I know what we hope to gain from attending this conference, but what do you hope? What did you hope to share? particularly being on that panel. Can you tell us about what that panel was about and what you shared with them? Yeah, so the panel was about how we, uh, we connect. We connect the, uh, the intersection between um, veterans, uh, storytelling, and what we can do as a company to put out veteran stories and to have better representation. And so I think the biggest thing that we want to show is that not all veteran stories have to, you know, they don't have to be poor me stories. They don't have to be only about the bad things. There are so many great things that are happening. And then also it's about learning how to connect with different characters, with different sources who might be in this community, who might not want to tell their story, but once they do, I mean, it is amazing. So it really is about taking the time and, uh, you know, making sure that when you do tell these stories, that you're, you're, you're telling them from a place, you know, in your heart where, it, it, where you keep close. What is your primary role as a producer? So I'm a medical producer for NBC News. I cover all medical uh, for the, the NBC network. So that is a cross-platform from nightly news today to our 24-hour streaming platform. Uh, NBC News Now. Uh, I was there for COVID uh, as one of the producers for that, and um, we I work with a small team, and we push out all the medical news nationwide. What advice would you like to give young, inspiring journalists here? Because a lot of these journalists uh, attending this con convention this weekend are in school. Yeah. Don't give up. Uh, I think the biggest thing is that you have to understand what media companies are at their, at, like at where they're at. What is their tempo? I just uh, overheard someone saying, you know, I'm giving resumes to people and I'm not getting any callbacks. If that starts to happen, maybe go smaller. Go to that local paper and walk your way up, because you're not going to be able to just jump into being at CNN, being at NBC if you don't have clips, if you don't have a reel, if you don't, if you haven't showed that you've actually done the work, then no hiring manager is going to hire you. So I would say that it's it go well and well past your college work, go well past your school work. Those are those are good clips. They're also for grades and they're not published publish your work. People want to see published work, and that's how you get ahead. Any other thing you'd like to add? No, that was great. Um, I just uh, I thank MBJ for um, giving the opportunity to, to really uh, 
I guess, not advertise, but just show, you know, how important it is that we get more veterans in the newsroom. Well, I know you have a plane to catch, so thank you, Patrick Martin, for joining me at the mic today. Uh, Have a nice flight, and thank you for attending. All right, thank you. It is time to dive into the October edition of the MVJ Bulletin, which promotes career opportunities, news announcements, and personal stories about our members published in the MVJ newsletter, delivered to all of our members each month via email. This one is jam-packed with great stuff, including a recap from the 2023 convention. So listen up. Yes, the convention is now in our rearview mirror, but we are pleased to feature convention highlights. Read about renowned journalist Barbara Starr and NBC News correspondent Sifan Kim. Barbara was our keynote speaker. She was a CNN Pentagon correspondent and is on the MVJ advisory board. Sifan was an Army Reservist veteran who is now with ABC Channel 7 Eyewitness News in New York City. And he led the convention's fireside chat with Russell Midori. For the first time, we also posthumously awarded Richard Levine with the very first MVJ Hall of Fame award. His two sons, John and Russell, were present to accept the award for their father. You can view photos of that award presentation, as well as photos of six of the ten journalists of the year holding their beautiful glass JOI awards. There are two open spots in the McGlatchy Veterans and Journalism Fellowships. This is a six-month, full-time, paid, and in-person fellowship, followed by a full year of employment upon fellowship completion. To read more about the fellowship and fill out the application, click on the application link in the newsletter. Check out the latest from the Counter Disinformation Program. There are two stories you'll want to check out, one on Congress considering very severe rollback of military DEI programs, and the other about an Afghan soldier winning asylum after first being detained at the border. Job opening alert! GigaFact is seeking fact brief writers in Oklahoma and Texas. GigaFact is looking for part-time writers to work with newsroom teams in those states. These writers will help news orgs address unsupported claims relating to their states. The application link for these jobs is in the newsletter. There's actually much more in the newsletter, so check out your emails and search for MVJ Newsletter. Now, let's get back to the show. Now sitting across from me is... Evgenia Vlasova. Hi. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, She is Russian-born, but um, did you get your citizenship... Oh, I'm not a citizen yet. Okay, so... I'm a green card holder. Uh, I'm in the process. You're in the process. In the process. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> you probably know more about government than I do. Um, you are an educator, an, uh, an editor, video producer. Uh, you've been at New York Film Academy here in New York City for eight years now. You are an MVJ member. I am. But you are not a veteran. I am clearly not a veteran, yes. So you're sort of like an outlier, but we welcome you, and we're happy to have you. Thank you, and I very much appreciate it, and I'm very happy to be uh, a part of this organization. What made you join MPJ? 
something that you don't really think about when you live um, like in a place where you were born and raised is you know that network of people that you know N- not necessarily you know talk to every day but like a network of people that you have by default by just you know living in one place for a long time and then you move somewhere else in my case New York City where I didn't know anybody you know I was by myself for a long time And even though that I consider myself like a pretty outgoing person, I don't like isolate myself from people or, or whatnot, but I, a few years ago, I found myself in a situation when I realized that I don't really have a network of any, thought, any sort, you know. Thanks to my job, thanks to New York Film Academy, that's how I met um, Russell, and he at some point Um, offered this wonderful opportunity to uh, to become a, a member of this network even though I'm not a veteran <laughs> um, so so we better ask him why he did it I guess <laughs> but I'm so happy that he did what have you gotten out of it so far because I know you went on the NBC tour uh, actually we were together with that what did, yeah. you, what did you think about that I know you've taken your students through it, yes. so it wasn't your first time. It wasn't. I loved it. I mean, you know what? I, to be honest, you know, yes, uh, the, like the novelty of things sometimes outweighs uh, like other things. So the the Bloomberg tour that we were on together as well, I I very much enjoyed it because that was my first time in that whole building. That was my first time uh, meeting um, people who work there, and I really loved that they had you know people and time to sit down um, you know during their busy days and talk to us and answer the questions and and I, I love that going to uh, NBC I very much appreciated they allowed us into this um, into the building that's an iconic building with like some iconic views and iconic pictures and I felt Oh, yes, you know, every time. I, this was not my first time, but every time I end up in that building, I do feel excitement because it's like, it's, it's a, you know, you know, I, I to be honest, I, I moved to New York City in big part because I felt like, well, I want to continue learning in my, you know, in the media, in, the, in my media, like in my area of interest. And, and New York City is the media capital of the world. Did going through their studio bring back memories because you were actually a television anchor? anchor. I was an anchor. In yeah. Russia? Yes, I was. It did. It always does. Always yeah. does. And you know what? I did a couple of videos during the tour yesterday and then I posted them later on on my Instagram stories where like, I just like to share with people and I and I put a caption and I and I said something along the lines of uh, once a TV person always a TV person because I don't think about it on a daily basis but when I end up you know within the vicinity of a, of a TV studio I you know, immediately remember um, you know those emotions that you get when you're about to go on air, that adrenaline rush, those long days, and crazy people, and interesting stories, and and just a, a very hectic, um, but very interesting life, yes. What is going on with your TV station in Russia now? What's going on? Long story short, um, it's not as fun of a place as it used to be due to some changes that were made. It used to be at the time when I was there, And before that, 
one of the very few independent TV stations that were producing very high quality content and news as well. You know, I um, remember we had times when we were one of the very few channels in the country where, where we uh, would do like the actual um, uh, debate before the local uh, uh, election, before the local election for the governor would take place and would actually not have it like staged or like have like a mock thing but like actually ask actual questions um, and that was a whole ordeal to even put that on air you know there were so many forces that didn't want that to happen and I remember our um, editor-in-chief she just stood you know in front of the control room and she was like telling these people she was like I'm not gonna let you in we're gonna do it the right way she's like I'm not gonna let you in <laughs> like all the, so right now with with all the changes that happened in my home country over the past years the station um, was sold to whoever it was sold to but those are people who have close ties with the government so it's it's not independent anymore. It's there's not even an illusion of independence. Therefore, it, it is really hard to do you know actual journalism. Mm. You know, unfortunately. Tell me what your students are like. They are people from literally all over the world. I always say that I learn as much from my students uh, as they learn from me. You know, they're definitely learning some technical things from me. They're also learning some cultural things from me because a lot of them come to New York City from somewhere else. Even if it's, you know, the United States, it's still a very, very uh, energetic, hectic city to to be in. And some things you just like, some ropes, you know, you can, if you can show them some ropes, you know, starting from like, this is the subway system. This is how you most efficiently use it, you know, and, and then going into like, how do you find a character for your story in this city? You know, like, how do you, how do you do things about it? How do you go about your daily life and, and how do you develop, you know, your skills in, in, in this environment? And so, yeah, I get to learn about their con uh, countries and their cultures and the ways they do things back home. Um, and it's always interesting. I definitely have learned a lot from my students and just as much, well, maybe as much as they have learned from me, I, I hope. Do you have any military veterans or military active reserve guard in any of your classes? Not currently, but I've had a great number of veteran students, yes, because um, New York Film Academy accepts um, a GI Bill so we've I've had a great number of wonderful wonderful uh, um, veteran students um, a lot of them are ladies uh, oh really yeah huh. <laughs> right now currently I don't have any veteran students but I've had a great number of veteran students in the past yes do you see a difference in and how they approach school of compared course. to they have discipline yes <laughs> we have discipline Yes, definitely, definitely. Because again, for the most part, I'm generalizing, but there is a difference, of course, because people who have military background, I am happy to interact with them because, you know, as a Russian person, I'm sometimes described as a very, very direct and, you know, whatever. So so we seem to, like, understand each other very well. I'm like, da-da-da-da-da, okay, <laughs> do, the, do this, 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 this. So great discipline, great appreciation for... Um, the freedom that this country affords, because again, sometimes people take this for granted. Well, now that you're an MVJ and you, in the future, you have veterans coming in, uh, you're going to be able to relate to them more. 
Exactly. And it was such a joy, like last night, the whole first day wrapped up with a lovely, lovely comedy show and all the comedians, all the stand-up comics that, that we um, uh, saw last night were also veterans. Oh, wasn't that hilarious? It was, it was, I was like sitting there. Um, first, it was really funny. All of them were really funny and I was laughing my heart out. And then, uh, second of all, I just felt very privileged and grateful that I had this opportunity to, to have a little glimpse into what this community is like. And I was just, you know, I understand that obviously I'm never going to feel, you know, what you guys feel because you have this whole other level that you um, connect on. But I was very, very grateful that I had a chance to witness that and to be a little part of that for a little bit. So for those of you who are listening who were not here at the convention yesterday, MVJ arranged to provide a tour to Gannett, USA Today, uh, Bloomberg Studios, and NBC Studios. And then in the evening we had a comedy show. We are actually here inside the New York Athletic Club and I guess Convention Center, right on Central Park Avenue. I mean, you go up to the very top of the building and you can see Central Park with a long line of, I don't know, what do you call them? What kind of buildings are are they? Very Uh, expensive ones. (laughs) (laughs) Well put, well put. Very expensive. It's just just one of the best views uh, there is. Oh, so you've been to the, you went up to the well, not yeah. as high as I could have been. Just when we had a little mixer oh, yesterday, oh yeah, yeah, the the little bit. Ba- well, you well, and I were ba- taking yeah, pictures. Yeah. Actually, yes. you were taking a picture, and I'm like, here, take it this way. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> Sorry. Know. Why? Why you should should not apologize. It's like horizontal, not vertical. <laughs> I know. Anyway, we were having fun yesterday. Uh, what kind of stories uh, do you or would you prefer to tell? I think that the power of storytelling um, is tremendous in this world. And now that you know we have all of these new technical uh, devices to help us do a better job in telling a visual story, you know, every iPhone is capable of shooting a great story these days. So if you know what you're doing, and so yeah, you shouldn't always ask yourself why like you know and I ask my students they come and I'm like okay let's pitch and they're like I met this person I was like okay but let's think about like why why do why and at first they think that I'm annoying I'm like well but you need to figure out why you want to do a story about this person what is it like what is it what is that you know why did you think this story was interesting and because as storytellers if I don't like I tell them, if you cannot pinpoint that for yourself, your audience is also not going to understand it. So first, you need to spend some time thinking, okay, that first glimpse, that's, that's an idea. But there's like a whole long road from an idea to an actual pitch, um, w- which involves, you know, doing more research, you know, maybe pre-interviewing, maybe um, spending more time with this person. And then it becomes more clear why, why this story needs to be told. Like, Everybody has a story, uh, definitely, definitely, and I think that it's up to us to find those stories that resonate with many people. I, I, I'm up for telling stories, you know, that either inspire or make people hopeful or educate them. I really, really, you know, that's why I kind of chose not to stick with like hard news because I understand that it's necessary, but I would rather, you know, find a way to tell stories that um, are less sensationalist 
and more empathetic. I think that when pe- people relate better to people, like if I, you know, and if we, we have, we, we, we have the, um, this capability of telling a bigger story through personal stories, you know, like, you know, I don't know, the impact of uh, climate change, for example, right? It's, it's such a big issue, but I think that, you know, the best way to approach these stories is to tell people's stories who were affected by it to, to show a bigger, uh, or, or animals. Last question. What advice would you like Oh, that to was my share question to or you. Seek. Oh, you, you, that was, really? Yes, that was my question for you. <laughs> oh wow, uh, you're turning you're turning the host duties over. All right, okay. Because it says share or seek, so I'm seeking. Okay, I'm seeking. Um, I, I I think being here this weekend really made me realize how hungry our youth is or not even youth, there are some 30s and 40s year old, maybe even 50s here, still looking for a job. <laughs> so either they lost their job or they're switching careers and they're veterans and this is the place to be. And all, you know, the career fair, which is winding down now, which is why it's gotten a little quieter in the past 10 minutes. I already said all of the big organizations, including CNN is here too, uh, looking to find veterans to put in their newsrooms and as you know I'm an educator as well so making sure that our future is our future journalists are prepared that's that's my biggest goal and how to prepare is to be diverse before it used to be you were a journalist you were writing stories you were a photographer you took pictures and really those were the only two things back in the old legacy newspaper days if you were a broadcaster, you either stood behind the camera or you stood in front of it. Now we're doing everything. We're writing, we're taking pictures, we're doing video stories, we're podcasting, uh, we're social media. So you have to almost have to do everything these days. So that's my advice is don't limit yourself to a couple different mediums. Really, you know, and don't be afraid to fail. Uh, I've been told no a lot of times. And I'm sure you have too. <laughs> um, and I've heard from everybody here that they've heard no a million times. And you just got to keep going at it. I don't get upset, you know, when I hear no anymore, you know. I used to get very upset. Now I don't. Now, yeah, it's them, know. not us. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, well, you're lost. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you, Evgenia Vlasova, <laughs> for uh, being on the Sword and Pen. I really appreciate it. And it was a lot of fun. If you didn't come this year, now you know what you're missing. Exactly, exactly. People from all different walks of life, and everybody's super interesting and inspiring. Next up at the mic is Juan Carpenzano from... Bogota, <laughs> Thank Colombia. you. You're a journalism student at Fordham University, and you were a sergeant in the U.S. Marine Corps combat camera. I was. And do you know how many photographers want that gig? A lot. A lot. I think so it's you're the dream you're gig. one of the precious few, that's for sure. Uh, your time of service was uh, five years. You're seeking knowledge and you're seeking a job. So you are here at the MVJ convention. You actually live here in New York City. Um, tell me about your experience so far. 
Uh, my experience so far at the MVJ convention has been amazing. Uh, I've gotten to meet uh, a whole lot of wonderful people in the community um, that I, I don't think I would have ever had the chance to meet if I wasn't a part of MVJ. I've been able to meet people that are running huge corporations like Gannett in charge of their communications and everything that they do to uh, other people that are in journalism that are just trying to get their foot through the door just like I am. And it, it has been amazing to see every single step of the way. You're here to meet people with similar interests and, like you said, get your foot in the door in the journalism world. Are you focusing on photojournalism? That is where my passion is, is in photojournalism. And I think if I stay true to my heart, which I want to do, it will be through photojournalism. Um, but I am understanding of the way that our uh, journalism field and the direction that it is headed in. Um, so I'm more than willing and uh, ready to work in whatever I can get my foot through the door. In. Do you have a dream job? <laughs> my dream job would be a staff photographer at the Associated Press. And how do you hope to get there? What are some of your goals? Uh, so primarily it will be to you know, continue to network and meet as many people as possible and uh, you know, put my best foot forward. I think that's the best way to kind of get your name known is by making sure that your name has a positive connotation to it um, in everyone's eyes, everyone's ears. Finishing my degree, that's my priority now. Getting that piece of paper that is going to certify me to get work. I have a ton of experience through the Marine Corps, but now I'm going to focus on that degree. And I'm also blessed enough to, you know, be getting paid to learn. I think that's a very rare opportunity in this world, and I have it, so I'm going to take advantage of it. Uh, also, through that networking, hoping to land internships, good internships that, you know, help pave the way to that dream job. I think that piece of paper is pretty important, but I think it's your portfolio that's really going to land you that job and I reviewed your portfolio yesterday and I have to say it was really strong it was I think it was about a hundred percent military driven wasn't it it was because you know five years combat camera <laughs> uh, where did you serve um, I was in Okinawa uh, I was at AFN Okinawa I was at third marine division also in Okinawa I did some time with third marine regiment which later tended, turned into Third Marine Littoral Regiment in Kaneohe Bay in Hawaii. Then I was with uh, U.S. Marine Corps Forces South in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. You definitely have a really good eye. Uh, your composition was very strong. You definitely understand light. You had some nice rim lighting. One of my favorite pictures is I think it was a second one in your slideshow with that big tank. With the mud? Yes. Okay, yes. Uh, that was a photo that I took during uh, UTV training with reconnaissance marines up in one of the northern territories of um, Okinawa. They have a large facility where they, uh, you know, <laughs> teach them how to operate the UTVs. And I mean, for any photo buffs or, you know, people that understand photography that are listening to this, I shot it with an 18 millimeter lens. I, you know, was down on the ground. My entire body was in the mud and uh, 
I got right up to the wheel. The wheel of the uh, vehicle was probably maybe at most a foot away from me. Yeah, I, I love that photo. It's very dynamic. Uh, I think I did a good job with my shutter speed because I caught good blur in the wheel, but still made sure that the you know the driver was in focus. What are some of your other images? And by the way, uh, I will provide a slide a slideshow on the blog and my personal podcast website which I will link to so you will be seeing his images so look for that one (laughs) what are some of your other favorite images that you've shot or stories that you can tell another one of my favorite photos that really comes to mind is um, I was working with the artillery guys and I have a photo of a howitzer firing you see um, one of the crew and, you know, right next to the howitzer, and you, I actually was able to capture the round in the frame. I did a good job of capturing it right in the upper right third, which was purposeful. Uh, I, I love that photo because it was one of those times where I truly could say that I, I made that image. I, I stayed in that same exact spot for 45 minutes, waiting and waiting. I just saw the lighting. I saw the composition of it and I was just waiting for that round to go off so that I could get it right where I wanted it and luckily enough it happened. Oh the patience. People have no idea the patience that we have. Hurry up and wait. That's that's like our mantra, right? It is, yeah. So you said you believe everybody has a voice, uh, but you want to help tell the Latin American story. Uh, You told me a story yesterday that one way of getting a job is because you speak fluent Spanish. Spanish. Tell me about that. Uh, I think it's super important, especially just now where such a large part of our country is Latin American. And a lot of the times our community sees our country and our world maybe in a different way than others do. And I think it's important to not only tell our story, but help our community see things in ways that others do. Um, So I think that is a priority that we should take in journalism, is focusing on getting stories to that community, how that community receives it best, uh, my community, um, and also helping our stories travel further and actually have a voice. I was born in Colombia, like you said, and I immigrated here uh, to New York with my mom and my little brother. and. it was, it was a really, really amazing thing that my mother did for us. And uh, you know, I wouldn't be here at MBJ or have served in the Marine Corps if it wasn't because of that. So I, I am very proud to be Colombian and very proud to be an American citizen. And I want to be able to kind of blend those cultures through journalism and you know, kind of help be a glue. And I'm very proud that you're a part of MBJ. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what advice would you like to share or seek? Uh, on the share side of things, I think no matter what you're doing in life, you just got to push, push, push. You know, it doesn't matter if you're hearing no. You got to just push through that no and turn it into a yes. Um, especially as journalists, everything that I've heard and what I've been able to see is that it's a grind you truly want to be a journalist you're going to have to grind so there's no point in being held back by that grind you just got to do it yeah there's no point in bitching about it (laughs) you just got to do it last question what do you think are the attributes of being military and a journalist i think primarily being just being military um, helps you 
kind of be ready to react. You can prepare as much as you want. Things can always go wrong. And I think in the military, we're very used to reacting to anything that's gone wrong and acting proactively and being ready to act. And I think that is one of the major, major, major benefits that military community can bring to any field, not just journalism. It's that ability to evaluate a situation for what it is and act on what you've evaluated. Now in journalism, I think what I can say one of my best attributes is as a journalist and as a photographer is that I, I've learned how to use my camera and make images in not the most favorable situations where I'm deeply restricted in you know where I can stand, where I can't stand, you know where I'm safe, where I'm not safe, and still making images through those restric restrictions is something that I think takes a special eye to accomplish. Yeah, I think being a journalist in the military does set you up in many, many ways for the civilian side of journalism. But I do feel that it's, it's not the one and only. Because even for myself, yes, I was in the Marine Corps and I got to go through a lot of training, but I, I never had the... I never went through combat. I, I don't have those crazy combat images that some people come back from when they go through those traumatic experiences. And I don't think that that's something that makes me less of a photographer. I just haven't had the opportunity to capture those things. And um, for people that are trying to enter journalism that didn't do it through combat camera in the Marine Corps, that doesn't mean that you can't become that because you didn't get those opportunities in the Marine Corps. Now you just got to make your own opportunities now and grow now. Okay, I lied. There is one more question. <laughs> As, you know, the journalist's last words. One more, one more question. It never is. How do you even get into combat camera? Oh, man. Because I know, they're, I know they want to know. So I took a very, very hard-headed approach. Uh, when I was joining the Marine Corps, I, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I was lucky enough, or I guess lucky enough to pass all the tests, you know, whatever requirements uh, were had, whether it be uh, mental or physical. And then when I was able to get the job, I made sure that I, I said no to any other job offered to me by a recruiter. I think I waited nine months every single weekend my recruiter would um, message me like, hey, you could be an aircraft mechanic. And I was like, no, I'm going to wait. Oh, you could be a grunt, infantry. No, I'm going to wait. Uh, well, we have an administrative job for you. <laughs> no, I'm going to wait. And I, I really took my time and made sure that I, I got that, the job that I wanted. And finally, after nine months, my recruiter calls me and he's like, hey, man, you can ship out tomorrow as a combat photographer. And, so you had that patience and persistence before you even joined the military. <laughs> and that's sometimes, that's what it takes. Well, thank you, Juan Carpenzano, for joining me on this Word and Pen uh, this afternoon inside a very noisy career fair, <laughs> which we love. It's supposed to be. I will catch you next year. I'll be here. Thank you for having me. That wraps up the special convention edition of the Sword and Pen, a podcast that supports and trains our military veterans in journalism so we can get more veterans to American newsrooms. Thanks to my four guests who shared their stories with me, Dan Clare, Patrick Martin, Evgenia Volosova, and Juan Carpenzano. I really appreciate it. We will resume with our regularly scheduled podcast at the end of this month, so watch for it on our Spotify page and the MVJ October newsletter. I am your host, Lori King. You're dismissed.
You've been listening to Sword and Pen, a military veterans in journalism podcast. 